This episode of the DGMG podcast, that's my podcast, is brought to you by Oribi, O-R-I-B-I, O-R-I-B-I, Oribi. Here's the cool thing about them advertising on this podcast, by the way, just a quick note, it's working. So a bunch of people actually went and used Oribi and signed up and started having success with the product. So they came back and they were like, Dave, can we keep sponsoring your podcast? And I said, yes, it's always great when it works out that way. And Oribi is awesome because they are providing an alternative, finally, an alternative to Google Analytics. And it's the alternative that a lot of people have been waiting for. I talked to a lot of marketers and Google Analytics is one of those things that you love it or hate it. And so if you're in that other camp or just looking for something new, you should go and check out Aribi. They have customers like Sony, Audi, Panasonic, and Pizza Hut. And it's great because once you connect Aribi to your website, you can really quickly analyze what's going on and see how people engage, not just with a form on your website, but with everything. CTAs, forms, pop-ups, images, videos, landing pages, and it works across all the domains that you have. And you can even see specifically what is leading to conversions. And marketing is ultimately just a game of let's go do more of what's working. So Aribi can help show you that. And the best part is it happens all automatically, right? You're busy, I'm busy. Using Aribi is like having a marketing analyst on your team working 24 hours a day that can give you what you need on demand. And whether you have a new campaign running, new ad creative, new landing page, there's so many things that we are testing and want to be measuring daily. And it's really easy to do that with Aribi, even if it's something like you just shipped a new pillar piece of content that the team has been working on for months and you want to know how that content is impacting conversion, you can do that. Just log into Aribi, you'll learn how people are interacting with all of your marketing and in no time you'll get better at prioritizing what's working and so you can throw out what's not and double down on the stuff that actually is having an impact. Plus, it's super simple to set up. They've got great customer service and tech support in case you need any help. And if you're like me, I'm sending a million questions in to customer support, but maybe that's just me. You can check them out at aribi.io. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O. And if you do aribi.io slash DGMG, and you sign up through that link, you'll get 20% off any plan or punch in the promo code DGMG. You'll get 20% off any plan oribi.io, O-R-I-B-I dot I-O. Check them out and say bye-bye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, on this episode of the DGMG Podcast, I talked to Scott Holden. He's a CMO at ThoughtSpot. All right, Scott, uh, good to see you. So we've been trying to get this on the, the calendar for a bit. I'm excited to, to have you to dive in. But for people that don't know what, uh, let's just start with like what what company you're at. Because before we talk about marketing, people need to know what ThoughtSpot does. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's good to be here. So uh, ThoughtSpot is a modern cloud analytics platform is the best way to think of us. And well, our, like, give me an example. Like, a, like how does a, a customer like X uses ThoughtSpot to do what? Yeah. So, well, the easiest way to think of us is that we're trying to make analytics more accessible for people like you and me and all the marketers on your podcast listening. So if you think historically about how the analytics world has worked, there are a bunch of data analysts that build reports and dashboards for us. And when we want something, we say, hey, 
can you go build me a new chart that looks at X? And our whole view of the world is that there's a lot of great knowledge trapped inside the heads of us marketers and us leaders that kind of gets broken when you have to create a chain to go ask somebody for help. And so if you can create a product that's easy enough to use, and our claim to fame is we use search and AI, we've been called Google for numbers, where somebody like you or me can go type a question like, how much pipeline did I get from digital last week, by day, and have a chart pop up, that's a whole different paradigm. Who do you sell to like in a company? Is it marketing? Yeah. And so the beauty of analytics, and certainly the case for us, is that it can be used by any company in any industry in any department around the world. And so that's both a blessing and a curse. We can get into that. Yeah. And so we sell often to marketers. I'm, I often describe myself as patient zero. I've been with ThoughtSpot now for six and a half years, about the same time as we've been selling. And uh, I was one of the very first business people to use the product and not in it every day. Marketers are a great use case, but you know, I could I could go on and on about the different types of departments and people that use it every day. Love it. All right. I, I always do this, and this is no disrespect to anybody's company. I got what we needed. People know ThoughtSpot, and we're going to move on because people, what they like hearing the most is they want to know your team side. They want to know marketing-specific questions. It's like this audience is an amazing... Like I feel like everybody that listens to this podcast is like a marketer at usually a B2B SaaS company because they're like, you know, we love benchmarks and comparisons and what are they using and what, and, and what are that using? Okay. So that was good. That's a little, that was a little appetizer to give people a taste of ThoughtSpot. Now you've been there for six years. I looked it up five minutes ago and Wikipedia said like over a hundred million in revenue. So you've gone from zero, you joined when the company started selling zero to over a hundred million. Can you just talk through some of like the team progression and like, you know, how things were when you started and, and, and to like what the team and, and kind of functions have morphed into today. Yeah. Yeah. I joined, we had just signed up a few pilot customers and one of them was Walmart where I had worked and sort of lived through the pain of analytics in the past. I hired a SQL coder to sit next to me and, you know, I just thought all the tools out there sucked. And so I'd lived it. And when I got the you know, the vision from the founder of ThoughtSpot, I, I kind of reacted the way a lot of our customers do. I was like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> but I showed up and, you know, he's like, yeah, we just signed this pilot with Walmart. And I remember going to my first board meeting and we put up a zero for revenue, which was, was like, okay, so we're starting from zero. Good to know. And it's hard to fall off the floor, but let's do this thing. And uh, I, you know, I inherited three people when I showed up and have kind of built this thing from the ground up. So our marketing team is now 36 people and I've hired every one of them at this point. And, you know, I can take you through the evolution. I've gone from kind of being an individual contributor that did just about everything to having a nice team now and scaling it out. And this is good. I got a bunch of follow-ups to this. So I want to talk about the team. I want to talk about your, your change in role, but let's go back to what was the initial marketing playbook to go and get those first customers? Because you obviously were there doing stuff. I'm just interested, like what was kind of like the zero to to one for the marketing function at ThoughtSpot at that time? Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was basically starting from scratch. I mean, the team had gone to a couple of trade shows and had sent a couple of emails prior to me being there. But it was, you know, if you think about starting from scratch, it doesn't get much better than the story here. And so, I mean, the way I think about it, first things first, I wanted to build a, an infrastructure. And so it started with kind of making sure that all of our systems were in place to actually track the stuff we did. 
because we had zero visibility to that. And so I think building a strong foundation from Salesforce, I spent almost eight years at Salesforce prior to joining ThoughtSpot. And so I'd seen a lot of bad Salesforce implementations. So I wanted to make sure that we did it right. And so that was sort of step one. And then from there, yeah, I mean, it started with digital. So we turned on digital channels. I was writing emails. I was sending surveys. The very what were first- you trying to were you trying to drive people like what was the offer? Are you trying to drive people to book a demo? Yeah, book a demo. That was a big one. We did a big referral campaign in the beginning. We made some news by, you know, offering a huge sum if like it was a twenty thousand dollar customer referral. We got picked up in the news for that. Whoa. But we did some things that were actually pretty guerrilla. That were some of the f- more fun things in my memory of the early days. So I created a superhero character named Spot Girl. So our company is Thought Spot, and so we created a character with a cape who fought the evil BI villains. So I came up with a comic book series and these five villains. And I actually, you'd like this. I made a t-shirt set series, six t-shirts, one for each villain and one for the hero. We actually, this is funny. I, people, somebody brought this up with me last week. We had one of our SDRs dress up as Spot Girl at Gartner's biggest analytics show of the year. And we did that two years in a row. And uh, she had the cape and a shield and she got thrown out a couple of times. But that was one, <laughs> that was one way. I love to- it. Okay, wait, let, let, let's pause on that because I think I love the idea. Like, but how did you figure out how to take that bet and how to spend on it and how to, you know, to me, like, I think we get obsessed with the playbook. You know, the website is this, the landing pages are this, but it always seems that every one of these startups that eventually takes off, there seems to be these kind of like, these lightning strikes, these catalysts, these like non-traditional things that in addition to all of the demand capture stuff you're doing, there seems to be one or two of these events. Like, was this intentional? Like, hey, I'm going to try to like, I want to try to do something to jumpstart our brand. Like, where did that come from? When you're small, you have to stand out. You have to do things that are unexpected and kind of make people go, what? What What are they doing? And so, you know, I actually had people come up to me and say, where's the superhero? you know, we don't really promote that anymore because it's sort of like a point in time, an evolution where we've grown up a little bit. But back then I was just looking for any edge because I was tiny and I was competing against the Goliaths of the world, you know, the tableaus and the power BIs. I needed a way to differentiate and stand out. And so that was a big one. And then the other thing we did is that we did some guerrilla marketing where we went to some of our competitors' conferences and made some noise that way. And I made some pretty controversial flyers. And, you know, we went to, we went to Las Vegas one year to one of our competitors conferences and handed out flyers that said, you know, gamble with our chips, not with your data and had a little knock on them. And we were handing out free chips if they came by and watched a demo. When you say you went to a competitor's conference, like you, did you spawn, like you got a booth at their conference? No, totally. Or you just showed up, you bought tickets and showed up and your people were just inside handing stuff out. The latter. Yeah. I love it. We just showed up hung out outside. It was in one of the big hotels in Vegas. We knew where it was. I bought a ticket to just say that I could be there. I think we had a few passes where people just attended as attendees. And then we just hung out outside in a public space. And we were in, we were just off one of the casino floors and we were handing out flyers in the hallway as people left the different sessions and said, come on out, check out us. I think it's interesting to hear you talk about that. Like as someone who believes in such a strong, like analytical foundation and coming from Salesforce, I've been trying to like explain to people that yes, you need to measure what's working, but there's this certain like just gut feeling element of like, you did that 
you started to feel like you had more inbound interest after. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't ever articulate it perfectly, but so much of it is like a gut feeling on top of the analytics of foundation. Absolutely. I mean, that's the art and science of marketing, right? And so, you know, the the beauty of these big trade shows, like for us, the like Gartner's analytics event is still probably the one in North America, the biggest analytics trade show in the world for anybody in our space. And so I knew that was a place where the fish were. And I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a booth. I'm going to spend a disproportionate amount of money on our booth. You know, I was like, I'm not going to do a lot of things, but the things I do, I'm going to go big. And so we bought the biggest booth you could buy, which was like breaking the bank for us. We brought spot girl and we were like, we're going to stand out. And so I, we actually flew the whole company there. We had our, actually, this is our, our nine year anniversary of thought spot is today. And so I, I wore my, my ThoughtSpot t-shirt here yes. underneath. And we um, we just had a little celebration. But I had everybody in the company come to Las Vegas for the conference. And we had our t-shirts on and we were bright orange at the time and really stood out. And so, and the word of mouth that happened is like, did you see that new company? All those people in all those t-shirts, there's a ton of them and they've got that spot girl person. What the heck are they doing? And then the metric side of it, right, is that we've got, reps at Gartner that will tell us how many people are coming to our booth relative to the competitors. And they're like, you were the number two booth out of 50 this year because you drove the most traffic. And we we got like 2000 leads out of that event, which at the time, and we had, I think we had three sellers when we went there. It was a boom. I love it. And I mean, you can measure it. Booth traffic. That's great. Do you think that stuff's going to come back? Like, don't you miss that kind of aspect? I, I never thought... I was so burnt out and sick of traveling for work. By the time that the pandemic happened, it was fantastic to not have to go anywhere. And now I'm kind of sitting here being like, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't hate an event or two. Like, do you think that you'll be doing this stuff again? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm an extrovert. I love being with people. I get energized going to these things. And so from my perspective, I can't wait. Right. I know there are some folks that are happy in the comforts of their homes and, you know, to each their own. But I, I think there are enough people out there that are eager to do it. You know, we all know this is when you get people together, you learn new things, you get that one to one connection that's really hard to replicate. I think the thing that's been missing with events is like, I think so much of the value, it's hard because on, on one hand, events are a major channel for revenue, right? Like it's depending on the size of your company, it can, it can be even greater than 50% of the pipeline, right? For, for a lot of companies. But there's also like just the the vibe and brand, you know, buzz, you kind of have that glow with you on top of that. That's harder to measure. I think that's the that's the piece that has not and will not be replicated by virtual events, right? Totally agree. I mean, you know, part of marketing, we're in the emotions business, right? We're yeah. trying to generate feelings. We want you to feel something when you interact with our brand. And when you're in a live space and there's music and you're talking to somebody and it, there's there's a a buzz, it's really hard to replicate that in, you know, on a little screen. Yeah. Especially if you got one of those packages where you got the booth, the CEO speaking on the stage, <laughs> you went all in. I, I think like, I think it's, those things are like anchors for the marketing team and the company and they create like, they create company momentum also. And I think those things can feel as important as product launches, right? Like you're mapping out all the product launches for the year. You're mapping the big events for the year. I, I like having the calendar from that perspective. They're huge. I mean, one of the lessons I learned, you know, I did eight seasons behind the curtain at Dreamforce with Salesforce. And, um, you know, I learned a ton about that. But the lesser known thing about those events is the thing I came to appreciate the most about them 
is not the pipeline, it's not the customer interaction, all of that was great, but it was how it moved the rest of the company, the product team to ship product on time, the vision right, for the management team to figure out the strategy, for us to get our ducks in a row to tell the world what really mattered. Well, it's like the ultimate, everything needs deadlines inside of a company. Like I I had a conversation with somebody recently where, you know, they were talking about like how to roll out the new positioning. And I was like, look, positioning is going to always be a work in progress. Tell the company that on this date, like people can have opinions, but on this date, we're going with this new positioning and we're going to try it. I think like events work as a great forcing function for like, okay, yeah, we do need to release some big product stuff this year. When's it going to be? Oh, it's going to be October. Totally. I mean, the date's our amazing forcing function. We just repositioned our company and in correspondence with the product launch. And it was a super tight timeline. And it was like, hey, we're going to evolve this thing, but we need to do it. It's strategically important. So let's do the best we can in the short amount of time we have and get everybody on the bus. But then that date, right. I mean, it's going to always be changing. And I think like if you you ultimately need to get feedback on it and, and like you can go and change, you can go and tweak the company LinkedIn bio. I, you know, if I... For me, like in the early days of Drift, every every week we were changing like the company boilerplate and you're looking at others. It's like pick one, ship it, get feedback, and it's going to morph over time. Positioning is one that I see get people get stuck on a lot. Okay. I got a bunch of notes, follow-up things that I want to ask. You mentioned that one of the first things you did was build out the analytics foundation. And there's a funny thing in your DNA. Uh, I don't know if you know this. You probably know this, but every freaking CMO that I've had on here that spent m- like more than three years at Salesforce, the number one thing they say is they start with op- ops and analytics. Like Bill Masitis said it, Lauren Vaccarello said it, Robin Daniels said it, and now you're saying it. Can you just talk about the importance of that? Because I think I gloss over it a lot, but it's like it's it's 100 the the backbone of of marketing today. So can you talk about that, please? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can't manage something you can't measure. You know, that's been said by many. So it starts there. And I I actually think that it's Salesforce. We were doing so well. The wind was always at our back. You know, it was one of the, it was a great time to be at the company because, you know, we were just a rocket ship from the moment I got there back in 2007. And growth covers up a lot of sins. Maybe I'm coming at it with my own perspective, but I didn't think we had the best world-class operations at the time. (laughs) And, you know, we were doing a lot of things in spreadsheets and like our, we were using our own product at the time. And that analytics product has evolved a lot, but it wasn't great. We were flying blind on a lot of things, or at least getting the information retroactively. And I think that's, you know, I'm sure you've had people on the podcast, like the marketing stack evolution over the last decade is just unbelievable, right? So we have more data at our fingertips than we've ever had before. It's it's 10x, at least what it was a decade ago when I was at Salesforce. You know, that evolution was something that I just felt really strongly about capturing. At Salesforce, I was in product marketing. You mentioned Bill and Laura, and they were on the demand gen side of the house and were a little bit more metrics focused than I was. But my background was, I started as a banker in my career. So I'm uh, no stranger to the spreadsheet and spent a lot of time in a pretty quantitative mindset. And so I think some of that comes from that, but also having seen a lot of bad Salesforce implementations and people saying, I don't know what's working and what's not. I just made it a priority from day one that that's something I wanted to fix. And the thing that actually is probably the biggest takeaway there is when you're young and you're small and you're building from scratch, little things to do it right in the beginning totally will carry you for years. And that, well, I, I love building because I, I like doing things the right way. 
and it's, you know, I feel for all of uh, my marketing brothers and sisters out there that inherit, you know, whatever size team or whatever size historical problems, but like fixing stuff that's been broken for, you know, two, three, 10 years. It's hard. Yeah. It gets harder and harder. I, I love that you gave that advice. I think it's the first thing to do because that's the time to do it. It's like, then you can build on, if you can build on this like bulletproof foundation, then things are going to be easier. And, and I think as someone who less of a spreadsheet guy than you are, but like as someone who comes at it more from the product marketing brand content angle, I, you know, I, I, in the past have been like, let's go fast. We have the wind at our back. We'll feel it. But I think the challenge that you eventually run into is that I didn't, that I didn't anticipate. This is a lesson to my younger, less mature self is like, it impacts everything. It impacts how you ask for budget, how you hire, how you plan. And so like, if you can have a source of truth, that everyone agrees on and it's simple to understand, your life is going to be a hundred times easier as you scale and the company scales. And I think that's the part that I didn't, that I didn't really know in the, in the early days of my career, right? I think the number one challenge that marketers face is proving their worth. If you yeah. can't prove your worth, you're in trouble. And so the only way you can do that is by having systems in place to track what you do and be able to clearly articulate the value you're creating. And that's where having the right tech stack and the right analytics on top help you craft that story. Yes, that's a great way to put it. By the way, improve your worth though. Like, I think one thing that people miss a lot is like, don't just prove your worth by just merchandising the things that you've done. I think you also have to be aligned with the CEO, right? On how on how they think you should be spending your time, like what what they're hiring you to do. It so it's not just strictly like. Here's the math because I've seen people fail in this capacity. Look at this campaign we ran. It's producing you know, revenue and they can still miss and still, you have to be on the same page with that CEO, right? Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't have alignment, like you can create the greatest campaign ever targeting someone the CEO doesn't think you should be targeting and that's not going to get you anywhere either. Hey, real quick, I just want to plug the DGMG community. You can go and join it right from my website, davegerhardt.com. By the way, if you haven't been there, davegerhardt.com, you'll have all the links. That's how you can go join. But DGMG, the community, it's my members-only B2B marketing community. In the last year, it's grown to over 2,500 members. And it's incredible because it's like having a sounding board outside of your company, which is so valuable as a marketer. So inside of the group, people are getting feedback. They're getting recommendations on tools. They're getting campaign ideas there. Sometimes people even message me to post anonymous questions about salary and hiring and interviewing. And I'm in the group every single day, like sharing my own stuff too. There's 10 to 12 new posts every day. If you join, you can go all the way back as far as the group goes to see all of the content from the last year. And I don't want to oversell it, but I know that you'll see our from it instantly. It's $10 a month to join. You can cancel at any time. So there's really no risk. And you can kind of, you can always DM me and tell me if you thought it was a fraud. So it's $10 a month to join. There's 2,500 members in there. It's become an incredibly valuable part of my workflow as a marketer. And I know it will for you too. So you can go and sign up at davegerhart.com. There's a link you'll see over there to join the DGMG community. All right, let's get back to this episode. How do you describe the the marketing mix, the the strategy that that you are all employing today? It's been changing. We're in the middle of a pretty big transformation here at ThoughtSpot. And it's a pretty interesting one. I mean, I love learning and trying new things. And I have certainly gotten my fill of that over the last year in particular. So a little bit of context. So ThoughtSpot, historically, we've sold to the Fortune 500. 
So, you know, the Walmarts of the world, the Verizons of the world, the, you name it, Wells Fargo, British Telecom, the world's biggest companies. And anywhere where there's lots of data and lots of people that want more access to data is, is a place where we found success. And, you know, selling top-down, big deals, CEO, chief data officer, getting the, de- the heads of the departments involved, big, big deals. We're talking multi-million dollar transactions. And that's great. And that's still a big part of our business. We'd always had this hope of going after new segments. You know, you could say we took the Tesla approach, you know, we built the, the race car first, and then we've been moving down market and taking that same fundamental technology and bringing it to the masses. And so we were in the process when COVID hit of building a SaaS product that would make it easy for, you know, smaller mid-market companies to consume ThoughtSpot. And as soon as COVID hit, we basically hit the afterburners on that project, knowing that the multi-million dollar deals, the multi-year, you know, the big spend of the big companies is probably going to be harder to get. And as a result of that, we went from, you know, this whole campaign strategy, everything changed. We launched the product, you know, a year ahead of schedule. We've been selling it now for nine months and it changed everything right down to my entire campaign mix. I just launched this massive cultural transformation, digital transformation campaign with HBR about how companies need to use data and transform how they think about it, get it out to people on the front lines. And I shifted entirely to going after chief data officers and data analysts with this new SaaS offering. And that was a huge deal. And the tactics that you deploy in one, right. very different than the tactics that you deploy in the other. I'm happy this, to talk th- no, this it. is great. Okay, so can you talk more about like how, how you think at the campaign, when you talk about campaign mix, right? Because you're selling... so. I'm assuming that even though it's SaaS, it's still high six-figure deal. It's still, you know, you're still selling to the bigger companies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, we know we're selling to small startups now too. Okay. I want to hear more about like how you think about generating demand. So like this idea, this HBR campaign, like the goal of that is to do what? Book meetings? Like, can you share about like how do you come up with campaigns across the team? How do you figure out the, and, and, and some of the tactics of like how the... ABM playbook is different from what you're doing now. People love that stuff and I'd love to hear it. Well, analytics, I kind of mentioned the blessing and the curse is that you can sell it to everybody under the sun. And, you know, we talk a lot in marketing about persona driven marketing and it's huge and it's critically important. In analytics, you can sell to the CEO, you can sell to the senior data leaders, you can sell to the analytics teams, and you can sell to every business function and the people inside it. And when it, with that HBR campaign, we were really selling to the CEO and the CXOs, basically the heads of business units, about why getting easier access to data in the hands of the front lines would transform how they worked. And that's, it kind of gets to the cultural change around adopting technology. And when you're selling top down, you know, that comes with an event series, that comes with a whole like microsite, like all these different assets, you know, the HBR piece, and then targeting surrounding those types of people. On the flip side, when you're trying to sell to, you know, smaller companies, and we've actually, you know, we've launched a whole product-led growth thing with the free trial, and you're trying to get front-end users and analysts to try it, and then eventually build consensus and move it up, totally different motion. And so, you know, the tactics vary, but I'd say it starts really strategically at the messaging level. You know, the messages for those different personas are very different. And as we all know, as marketers, queuing up a whole new set of stories in analytics, it could be a dozen different personas is a lot of work. And then like what happens with those stories? Like, is there a certain set of 
creative and offers and like at the campaign level, like how do you turn that story into ultimately like a sales meeting? What's the process from there? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we have, if you, you know, if you go to our website, we have a whole solutions by role section, right. Where we've got a page for business leaders, a page for, you know, data leaders, a page for analysts, a page for developers, a page for people building products. And there's a whole narrative that we've crafted with videos and offers, you know, basically those are campaigns, campaigns by the types of people, because the benefits for those people vary pretty distinctly. Uh, This is great. Okay. So, so if you're listening to this, I know that DGMG members in particular, I see this question a lot. A lot of people ask like how to do product marketing when you have like very tactically, how should the website be when you kind of have all these different use cases? And I think I'm on the site now Scott just laid out is perfect, which is like they have the ThoughtSpot homepage, which is basically like why ThoughtSpot, social proof, logos, all that stuff. But if you go to solutions, you basically have all the different personas. And I see people like, how do you handle the website if we have, we sell to four different personas? Well, they say, hey, oh, you're in financial services. Here's how this works for you. You're a data leader. Here's how this works for you. And then I also like this because it kind of gives you tracks for all of your product marketing. Like all the campaigns can then run through each one of these doors. Exactly right. The, probably the biggest challenge I have is the scope, right? And wanting to tell a really crisp, compelling narrative to all these different audiences takes time. And so when it comes to your point about like, what does the CEO care about? Prioritizing at a very strategic level, which of these personas is more important than another right now. And we just launched this new platform for building interactive data apps. We call it ThoughtSpot Everywhere. That's a brand new product and it's going after, you know, the heads of product management at SaaS companies. And so that didn't exist six months ago. And that's been a whole new stream of work, a whole new, like, you know, you'll see there's a whole bunch of campaign assets that hang off of that. In analytics, we're constantly firing up new ways to tell the story, depending on who you are inside your company. How central is like product marketing as a function to your success? Huge. So, I mean, I'm a little biased. I came up to the product marketing ranks after I tried my hand in banking and operations. I decided that the product management and product marketing teams looked like they were doing some pretty cool stuff. So, That's what I joined Salesforce to do. When I think about building a marketing team, it actually starts first with the story, with the message, you know, and that ties most closely to the, especially in startup land, like what's the story of the product? What's the key, the differentiated thing that we're trying to tell the world about what our product does? So that's always like number one for me, like what's the story? And then as I'm building out the team, number two is the creative, because I think you got to wrap your story in a differentiated look and feel. Then the third piece is probably that infrastructure, which is the the technology stack and the analytics to be able to track what you do. And then around that, you basically have all the different channels you go to market, whether that's content or campaigns, digital events, et cetera. Do you have a framework for the story that you rely on? Like a positioning framework? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So there's, you know, there's a classic positioning template. I'd say it's the positioning template combined with like a messaging hierarchy. And I think, you know, if you go to our website, you were just on it, you'll see that we have kind of three key points there, which is that we're simple, open and actionable. And that kind of is the tip of the spear. You know, there's the highlight of who we are and what we do and why. And then there's the like three kind of core values. As I've done these different exercises, I mentioned, we just went through this on May 4th, we repositioned the company. Those three pillars there, you'd be surprised at how much internal debate at the senior levels in the company. <laughs> yeah, that. why not four? What if we don't have this one? What if we don't have this one? <laughs> 
but I find like, just like, no, no, let's make it three. Let's debate. I'll sidebar a little bit on positioning. About three years ago, we brought in a new CEO at ThoughtSpot. And his first question to me was like, is our positioning any good? And as somebody who'd spent the last decade leading product marketing teams, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. What do you mean? And so I kind of thought it was great. And he was like, well, I don't know. And, and, and like, I don't, you know, I think there was part of me that was a little bit defensive. Right. But then he doesn't know anything. He came from a different industry. He's like, I don't, you could be the greatest thing in the world. I don't know. He's like, why don't we, why don't we get a third party to take, to help us? And at first I was a little bit, I was like, I don't, I don't know if the third party is going to help us. But I, I eventually. It's like, <laughs> so real. Like as a product marketer, you're like, they're not going to teach it. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would react a hundred percent the same way. Third party. I am the third party. <laughs> But like, you know, part of growing as a leader is like, you know, checking your emotions. Where is it coming from? Why am I being defensive? Like yeah. swallowing your pride a little bit, growing up a little bit. All right, let's try it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll learn something. It was expensive. That was another factor. But the thing that um, I learned about it is that when they came in, they ran a world-class process. And the best thing about it is they brought everybody in the company into it, all the senior leadership. And they ran it like a committee. And the first, the, probably the most important thing it did is it created empathy for the marketers from all the other leaders in the company. Because let's face it, like good positioning is hard work. Yeah. And people think it's easy and it's like marketing super subjective, but they looked at it and said, oh, well, it could be this. And someone else would say, yeah, but that means that. And to these other, oh yeah, yeah, that's bad. Well, what about this? No, no, that doesn't work either. And through the whole process, like, you know, it's a sausage factory. You come out the other side and they're like, okay, man, that was hard. I understand why we got to where we got. And now you have buy-in and buy-in is a beautiful thing because if you don't have that, what ends up happening is that, you know, you put up the new positioning on your website and the, whoever, some executive in a far off land says, you know, yeah, that's just a marketing guy is doing whatever. Like, I don't, man, that's just, that's crap. Well, it's like, I feel like the reason most positioning stinks is actually not because marketers can't write and aren't creative. It's because when you get this compilation of like different muddy mess, you just end up with mud. It's this blended thing. And I think now that I hear you say it also, I've never like thought so much about your messaging, obviously, but like it's tight and it's like, it's super clear. And it's what I love about the way that it came out is I love that, that it's memorable. Like it has a framework, right? Like you, even as a, as a CMO, who's like, you're the CMO, I'm doing this podcast. Shoot. What are our three things? But because it's a simple list of three, you're not sitting here racking your brain, trying to think of some freaking memorized boilerplate. You're like, Oh, we're simple, open and actionable. And I love that because what it does is it's great positioning is just context setting. And so like, if I'm a marketer at ThoughtSpot and I'm working on a campaign or I'm thinking about a theme for our event, you have these guardrails now of simple, open, actionable. I could use simple, open and actionable to help figure out what book we should write, what podcast we could create, how our events should feel like those are guys. And I think that's how you get everyone bought in. It, it can't just be the website that serves as your, your messaging and positioning. Absolutely. Yep. That's one of the big keys to doing this right. And then if you get the positioning straight, I mean, that's usually like people talk about like, how do you interact with your CEO? If you get the positioning right, my CEO cares about pipeline and story. That's, <laughs> that's it. You know, that's it. I, like if the story is great and it's memorable and like in sales meetings, people are nodding and like getting it and like we're differentiated, check. If the pipeline isn't broken, check. You can go do the rest of your job. I'm happy. 
I'm marking that down because that that'll be our clip for this episode. Because so many people ask about like, you know, how to manage up, what to work with the CEO on, how to like take control of your. It's like those two things, pipeline and story. And to your point, someone's only going to get in the nitty gritty weeds and details on it if it's not working. And so if the story's not working, then you're going to have to, you know, that that is why in your email and this landing page will get come under more scrutiny. If you're not delivering on pipeline, that's when they're going to ask about these webinars versus this content versus this email. Exactly right. Can you share like how you've broken down the team? You got 36 people now. Do you have like a rough framework for how the team is structured? Yeah. I've got uh, six directs, product marketing, creative, operations. And I this is actually a new shift. I've always had a marketing operations team, but I just picked up business operations. So one of the trends here is to combine sales, partner, product ops into one kind of central function. And so that's now rolling up under me. Corporate marketing, which includes events and field marketing and digital advertising and partners and community. And then I've got a leader over PR, social, and content. And then um, finally, I have a a chief data strategy officer who is in a, a customer advisor role who does product strategy and evangelism for us. And is this team framework based on like a way that you like it or what you have or the ingredients that you have? Like what what's the why behind how you have the team set up? Yeah. Well, I, I think I heard this on one of your podcasts the other day about why like having a function for demand gen is a bad idea. And I agree because <laughs> we're all in demand gen. So I don't have a demand gen function. I had basically until recently, I had basically the two main contributors for demand gen or for pipeline under two different leaders. I had like the digital side of the house and then the physical, the events field marketing side of the house. And then I just consolidated that under one leader as the digital marketing person was now moved under to run the business operations group across the board. So gave him a bunch more scope there. Shout out to Kaushik on my team. Who's just, you know, a world-class I love a shout out. Everyone that's listening is going to go try to find Kashik and then send a DM and try to recruit them right now. Um, <laughs> that's great. So all of digital is under BizOps. Is that what you said? No, I moved the digital advertising under my corporate marketing leader. Got it. Her name's Emma. She's also fantastic. What's up, Emma? And she, so she now basically has all of my lead gen spend. So which in, in some ways I looked at that as a positive, right? Because particularly in COVID, what I found is that you know, we were kind of always on with events and digital and they were 50-50 combo contribution. Obviously events died. And now, so we basically pivoted all the physical events to kind of some digital format. Now, as we bring back physical events again, like I've got some big events lined up for the coming year, the trade-off as I'm trying to manage the spend, like if we have a really big event in some month, we can dial down digital. And I'm realizing that having it all under one umbrella gives her the, the ability to kind of move right. the miles a little bit more flexibly. Well, and then, and, and then she's incentivized to do that. It's not someone like on another team who now you're like, your job is to spend, you're not spending. What's the value of the role? It's like, it, it's a hat that she can wear. Yep. How do you get the team aligned then? Because like I, I get the... I talk about it because I think it's good like clickbait, the no demand gen team. But like, and I get it. I believe it for sure. How do you then like unify the team to be able to like work on pipeline generating things together? Someone has to orchestrate that. Where does it come from? Oh man, I actually, I have my notepad here in front of me. I was just doodling on this today. I think this is probably the hardest part of, of my job right now. I think if you're selling a product where it's one persona and kind of one set of benefits and it's pretty kind of narrow value prop, 
like you can create a campaign team to be like, Hey, go crazy. Like let's do wacky things. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's just do anything to kind of get into the mind of like that persona. The challenge I have is a little bit different where I just laid out for you about a dozen different personas that I'm trying to figure out. And like, I'm just, I like, I have them down on the board here and I like listed them all out and I've got an offsite in two weeks with my leadership team. We were just talking about this morning. And I was like, the number one goal of the offsite is we have three years worth of work in front of us and these 12 different kind of very strategic initiatives. They're all important. We cannot do all of them at once. We have to figure out what's the most important and staggered the work. And maybe we do bits and pieces of it, but if we don't have that collective shared view, man, it turns into just, you know, bumper cars. Right. And at this point, like, I think, right. Our company with 35 people and, you know, six person leadership team or 35 people in marketing, you know, I'm pretty actively involved. I'm trying to get, you know, every day I'm like, how can I get less involved in certain things? But when it comes to this prioritization of like key work streams and campaigns and, and kind of persona based messaging or key, I'm pretty actively involved trying to help align those things to the strategic priorities that are coming from the rest of the executive team. Yeah. Because if people go and spend time every, I mean, there's people are always going to be busy, but the worst case scenario is when the team is busy and everyone's burning out, but you're not hitting your number, you know? So like, it's scary to like pick the wrong work and send the team down there for a quarter. I don't, well, scary is not the right word, but, and so how do you set goals as a team to, to align some of this stuff? Cause I feel like the team setup is tight. The messaging structure is tight. You don't have you don't have a demand gen team, but you must have clear goals then, because otherwise people would just kind of go work on whatever. Yeah, and so I'll I'll just tell you kind of how I run the team. So I do, you know, I've got one on ones with my leadership team. I do a monthly marketing all hands, and in that meeting, we actually have a metrics review section. I've tried to make it simple, and I'm like, just top five metrics, targets, performance, and then most importantly the story behind the why the metrics either going up or going down. And we do that every month and people present and share that collectively. We just, we publish it every month. And I find that has been, you know, we use our own, obviously we use our own product and it's kind of crazy. I don't have an analytics team. I don't have any analysts. We're actually looking to hire our first analyst. So if you're listening, that's maybe an opportunity for you, but that's because our product's pretty easy to use. So I have people in our product basically crafting their own, analyses and right, publishing right. it every month to the team. And it, it, we're early stage, right? Like we're still a pretty young company. The thing that is really important when it comes to metrics is creating safety. <laughs> Cause I, I want to hold people accountable, but I also don't want to just, you know, whack somebody if a metric goes up or it goes down. I'm more interested, like let's face it, marketing campaigns rise and then they fall. Right. And like they go all over the place. And so when something goes down, just beating somebody up about it is not a good way to solve it. It's trying to get to what's the learning behind it. And so I'm really trying to understand, well, what do we learn? How are we trying to improve? And if it goes up or it goes down, like that's just a data point. Let's get better from it. Man, that's good. Because it's like just a game of knowing where to go spend your time. And so it's like you need metrics, yes, to hold people accountable. But if we miss a lead goal for two months, that might not be somebody's job. And you can tell, right? Like if you miss on a goal... The person on the team who owns that is like, we missed, here's why, here's three things we're doing, here's two things we already done, here's five, te-. I'm like, I see that and I'm like, great. It's right. when you miss and you don't know why and there's no sense of urgency and there's no action, that's when you start digging in a little bit. We're all harder on ourselves usually than other people are on us, right? And so the pure act of publishing, it's like, you know, people talk about you got to just ship work, ship work, right. you got to ship metrics, 
because when you ship it, it holds yourself accountable to look at it. And then you're like, oh, wow, that thing went down. I forgot. I didn't look at that. I didn't notice it. Like, why did it go down? And you are probably more curious about it than your boss is going to be. And you're going to try and be better at your job. And so that that accountability is a really powerful framework. Do you have a really close, like, do you have BDRs in this org? Because if you're selling bigger deals, I'm assuming there's some type of BDR, SDR function. I've had it in the past. So it's bounced around a little bit. My philosophy on the BDR thing is if you have a product where or the BDRs or the SDRs can graduate to become sellers, I think it's really nice for them to be in the purview of the sales leadership team and have that path to become junior account execs. And so I've always kind of subscribed to that. There was a point in time where that path did not exist for us when we were only selling the big, super big deals, large enterprise, like it was really hard to make the leap from, you know, beginning your career to being a seasoned vet. Now that we have this new SaaS product, we pushed it back into sales because they're getting promoted into our commercial sales organization. We just promoted, you know, half of the, the team a couple of months ago. And so I just love seeing that. And so that's where it makes more sense. But you've had some type of like meeting, booking, qualification role in your funnel at ThoughtSpot, I mean? Yes, we've always had an SDR function. Got it. Absolutely. I would say like if you're having a hard time giving career paths to junior SDRs, put them under sales. If you're having a hard time, you know, with the disconnect between sales and marketing, like, you know, the leads aren't good enough. People aren't following up on the leads, that whole thing. Like the two teams need to work together. It doesn't matter the reporting relationships, but sometimes the reporting relationships can, you know, tip the scales if one part of the piece is broken. Couldn't they like functionally report into marketing, but from a career but also be in the sales meeting so you could get the the career juice of that too? Totally. I mean, it, it completely depends. And I actually, in most of the conversations I've heard about this, it's about 50-50 where they sit. And so pretty interesting divide. I think it comes down to the company, the culture, the people leaders. And as I said, it's bounced around twice now at our company. All right. You have a ton of great customer logos. I don't really know your your industry, but like Daimler, Exxon, Mobile, Siemens, Walmart, Hulu, Hilton, in the enterprise, that stuff is more important than ever. How do you use all this customer stuff in, in your marketing? Yeah, social proof. I mean, it's it's huge, right? And so, you know, we have a goal to try and sprinkle that around everywhere. So if you cruise around any of those role-based pages we were talking about, you'll see quotes, you'll see, you know, proof points, you'll see links out to G2 Crowd. I think the arrival of G2 Crowd and Trust Radius are a pretty cool development in the marketing landscape. We historically spent a bunch of time working with Gartner. And so Gartner has a competing product called Peer Insights and getting our customers to do surveys and kind of share with the world what they know. These newer products are a little bit more um, open and have a little bit more virality to them. And so we're involved in all of them. There's no better way than having your customer tell your story. We all know that. Does somebody own that? Does somebody own like customer marketing from like a social proof case studies? How do we get more reviews proof? standpoint? Yeah. And this is actually something that we've been working on recently. So I'm happy to share our thinking at least. So we just had a, on our all hands, we had it uh, yesterday. We had a presentation. We basically have a two women team who run this for us. We have a customer marketer in the product marketing organization who's responsible for all the asset creation. So if you go to our customers page on our website and look at all the videos and all the case studies, she's on point for creating all that. And then the woman who runs community for us also runs our customer engagement program. So she runs our all-star program and like basically has a bunch of programs that get really close to understand and be effectively an advocate and champion for the customer, helping them more than, 
you know, on the product marketing side, we're trying to tell their story, which is more about us. And on the other side, it's about helping them get access to the right executives and product leaders to make them more successful. And so they're kind of two in a box for us. And they just like launched this process about, you know, how to get customer speakers, how to get customers to do various things across our company. And they have now become the point people, not just for marketers, but for sales and for customer success to try and streamline the asks. When you have customers that are huge fans, you know, you'd be shocked at how many people inside your company over time. It's crazy. Start pinging, you know, the go-to customers for whatever. And if it can become overwhelming and like someone will make a call, like, yeah, I just talked to so-and-so yesterday. Let's do this other thing. Guys, like, give me a break. So we're trying to like create a tip of the spear, if you will, to streamline that with those kind of two core functions. I like that. I like that marketing will own that. I could see how people would be upset about that, but I think it's smart to have marketing own it. Well, particularly when it, I mean, sales is going to always be in touch, but when it comes to doing anything public facing, that's what we're trying to do. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right, Scott, this was great. A lot of bang for my buck. I got all my notes and uh, this was great. So two questions to wrap up. Number one, where can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? And then number two is give me a marketing person, doesn't have to be CMO, can be, uh, that I should have on that I haven't had on yet. Uh, number one, you can find me on LinkedIn, probably the best place. I'm on Twitter too, but I think LinkedIn's a little bit more active for me these days. Or you can also you know, hit me up on it's scott at dotspot.com email. And then in terms of who you should have on next, I mean, there's a pretty amazing Salesforce mafia out there of CMOs to pull from. I know you've had a few on the podcast already. The one person that I'd love to hear who I haven't heard much from, I'll give a shout out to Kendall Collins, who was the former CMO at Salesforce and is now the CMO at Okta. I think just took over that job here in the last couple of months. And so I haven't heard from him on a podcast uh, and would love to hear what he has to say. I'm bored. Give me people who've actually done thing in Zane marketing. All these Salesforce people are getting boring. In <laughs> no, marketing? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Oh, I love them all. I love it. All right. That's a great one. Okta is a great company. Great story. Those have been some of the better episodes. So I will give a shout out to the Salesforce Mafia. Okay. Try to keep the Salesforce talk to a minimum for you. Dave. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, congrats so far on an awesome run at ThoughtSpot. Nine-year anniversary today. I appreciate it, Scott. I'll see you around. You'll hear from me when this comes out, and I'll, I'll see you soon, all right? Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, man. See ya. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the DGMG Podcast. If you learned anything new from this episode or got one valuable piece of marketing knowledge, it'd make my day to leave a review. I like to look at them. I like to see what people are thinking and hear about. Or if you didn't like it, leave me some feedback. Otherwise, I will talk to you on the next episode. See ya.